Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the Adventures in VHS podcast, a show dedicated to the lost format of VHS. My name is Noel Meller and every month I'm heading back to the 1980s to pick out one single movie from my collection of ex-rental classics, in inverted commas, to talk a little bit about that film and speak to one of the people behind it. The podcast is a monthly show that allows me to get a little bit deeper on one of the movies I'll be covering for the Adventures in VHS book which I'm currently writing and I'm looking to have published next year. And that's kind of a personal journey through my experiences of the home video format, where I'll be looking back at my formative years and and what made me the film fan I am today. Uh, Along with my nostalgic and historic meanderings, however, the book does also feature the discussion and review of 50 individual movies that I've been able to acquire on X-Rental VHS, and I'll be watching those on my newly acquired Panasonic VCR and Bang & Olufsen CRT television. Legalities permitting, the book will also have full-colour scans of the glorious and all-important sleeves that accompany each and every one of those movies that feature as well. If you liked the last podcast, I feel pretty sure that you'll be on board with this one. And if you do have any feedback for me, I'd like to take this opportunity to beg you for it. Uh, You can send me feedback either via email at noel at filmrant.co.uk or through a review on iTunes, which I would be eternally, eternally grateful for at this stage, as I have none. Uh, Last month, I covered 1987's Creepersoids and spoke at length to its director, David Dakota, about the making of the film and his feelings about being a filmmaker during the home video boom. And for this episode, I have something equally or perhaps even more special. As you'll probably have noticed, this month I'm looking at the 1986 Troma schlock classic, Class of Newcomb High, and I'll be taking you through a little of the film's history first of all, then I'll be talking about the 1986 Virgin Premiere VHS release, then I'll be getting into my review of the film itself, and then finally I'll be speaking to the one, the only, the man himself behind the camera and the legendary underground studio itself, Mr. Lloyd Kaufman. So, without further ado, get ready to adjust your tracking. Welcome to Tromaville High, an average American high school, with one exception. It's located only one mile away from a nuclear power plant. They said it was 100% safe. But they were wrong. Major Governor, we have the situation well in hand. Welcome to the class of Newcomb High. Yes, at Newcomb High, strange things are happening. The Honor Society has changed from a group of clean-cut preppies into a vicious gang of cretins. We're the youth of today. The class of Newcomb High. Introducing Warren and Chrissy. I love you. Two young lovers caught in a world gone mad. I have to die! The class of Newcomb High. Yes, at Newcomb High, anything can happen. And does. The class of Newcomb High, where you'll learn the three R's. Reading, writing, and radiation. Explosive action of the year. <laughs> the class of Newcomb High. Rated R. 
Back in 1986, Troma was a studio that was riding high on a hit, and the company's founders, Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz, were keen to build upon that hit with a new feature that would help cement the company's reputation as one of the most daring and exciting independents out there. The Toxic Avenger was the kind of underground hit that Troma had only been able to hint at before, and VHS home video had played a big role in its success. Even films like Mother's Day and Combat Shock, which are now considered genre classics, really didn't impact the way that Toxie did, so it's no surprise that Kaufman and Hertz decided they were going to stick pretty close to the formula of nuclear-enhanced body horror. The film was co-directed by Lloyd Kaufman under the pseudonym of Samuel Vile, uh, and that was alongside another director called Richard W. Haynes. Now, I actually made moves to interview Haynes uh, about his involvement with the project, uh, but after a couple of emails going backwards and forwards, we really couldn't lock down an interview that would work for, for both of us regarding the film. Um, in fact, his exact words were, Well, that's a problem movie for me. It's my only feature film that I didn't have creative control over. It was a work for hire. All of my other pictures I had complete, complete creative control on. Uh, however, he did also mention that since Newcomb High, he's worked on many other different projects, and it turns out he's actually an established author, and in uh, 2003 he put out a book called The Movie Going Experience 1968-2001, to uh, in which he covers you know, cinema and the trends around cinema during that whole massive period. And within the pages of that book, he mentioned that he does have uh, a chapter that, that focuses very closely on VHS and the home video revolution. So, at that point, it really kind of made sense for me to talk to him not about Class of Newcomb High, which sounds like he didn't have a very good experience on, and instead uh, interview him about the, the home video revolution and the various formats that he's been involved with as a filmmaker over the years. So keep your eyes on, uh, peeled on uh, filmramp.co.uk for that interview very soon. Uh, but getting back to Class of Newcomb High, um, overall it, it does seem very much like the film was very much a, a Lloyd Kaufman picture. Um, and it was one that did receive a, a theatrical release in the US and was rated R when it came out over there. Um, but it was when it hit home video on the media home entertainment label in the US that it really took off. Over here in the UK, the video was put out on the Richard Branson-owned Virgin Premiere, which was just one of the labels launched under the Virgin Group banner in the, the early 1980s to, to distribute movies. And, of course, when it came out, it was given the, the British equivalent of an R rating, an 18. Uh, since then, there's been a couple of VHS releases and a couple of DVD releases on both sides of the water, uh, and those tend to be on Troma's own label. Um, and important to point out, in the US, there is now a Blu-ray available on the Troma label uh, of Class of Newcomb High. Um, and in August, there's actually a pretty feature-packed Blu-ray hit in the UK, thanks to Arrow Video, that pretty typically sees the film reclassified as a 15. Class of Newcomb High hasn't been without its different cuts and versions over the year either, with the original 81-minute version, detailed as 85 minutes on the media home video sleeve, probably the one that most people have seen. There was, however, an unrated director's cut that came out on DVD that added an extra minute to the mix, wow. Uh, but there was, there was also a Japanese VHS and DVD that came in at 96 minutes, thanks to the integration of some deleted, uh, deleted scenes that were on the DVD. Uh, by all accounts, though, I haven't seen that version, and, and, and as I say, by all accounts, that version adds very little. Um, I mean, with all that in mind, I think it's pretty safe to say that it'll be the 81-slash-82-minute cut that comes out over here. Um, it hasn't been confirmed yet, however, Arrow have confirmed that there's a Lloyd Kaufman commentary, uh, there's some interview footage, there's a making-of feature that focuses on the power plant effects, there's also a tour of the Troma Studios with Lloyd Kaufman and a bit bizarrely there's a public service announcement by Lemmy from Motorhead that also features Trey Parker and Matt Stone I don't know what that means but uh, I, I'd, I'd sure as shit like to see it so so yeah I mean with it being an Arrow release there's also some lovely artwork to look forward to although like the HD transfers on this label that can be a bit hit and miss uh, there is also a collector's booklet though again I found those to be a bit shit on occasion in the past. The Vamp one, for example, is written by Jay Slater, is absolute garbage. Um, so much so that I actually wrote to the owners of Arrow Video and asked if I could write their liner notes for them in future. 
Um, I'm still awaiting a, reson- a response on that particular email. Uh, but this one is from a guy called David Hales. Anyway, he's a film journalist for the Times, so hopefully it'll, little, it'll be a little bit better. So anyway, yeah, back to the actual VHS then. Um, the VHS that I'm looking at here is, as I say, out on the Virgin Premier label. Um, it is a glorious uh, cover. The the actual plastic cover itself is a a neon luminous green cover. Um, embossed on the inside with the Virgin Premier logo. It's in pretty decent condition as well. Uh, embossed on the outside as well with the Virgin Premier uh, name uh, one, two, three, four, five, five times on the box as well. So, uh, yeah, it's quite an elaborate box for this type of thing, um, if you get excited by that type of thing. Um, the actual sleeve itself... I've got to be honest, it's probably the most beautiful sleeve out of any of the movies that I've got on my shelf. It really is. The front cover, the, the, there's plenty of artwork around for Class of Newcomb High, and over the years there's been a couple of DVD releases that I've seen and, and VHS releases, but the cover artwork wasn't very wasn't very good at all. This is a gorgeous hand-painted cover. It's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful cover, and I really do wish I knew who the artist was for this this particular version so I could tell you to uh, to give it a google but um yeah it'll be on the website when I post this uh, this podcast anyway yeah absolutely gorgeous and across the top we've got uh the tagline which is it rotted their bodies and corrupted their minds and that's the good news uh running time here says approximately 85 minutes so I didn't actually time this particular tape when I watched it but yeah, it'd be interesting to know if this is another case of says it runs at 85, but it actually runs at 82. Turning around to the back, we've got a, a one big sort of glorious image on the back of, of what's clearly a prosthetic head with an eye bursting out of it. Next picture down, we've got a few uh, dodgy young youths, complete with mohawks and flick knives. and, and uh, Actually, that's not a flick knife, that's, a, that's an AK-47 assault rifle pointed at someone's head then there's a sex scene below that and then there is uh, a couple and one of them is a girl and she's in a bikini so you know the usual type of stuff bit of gore bit of violence bit of sex bit of tit um i think that's the type of thing we can we can expect and as far as the uh the actual blurb is concerned on the back just to read that out to you it was gross green and horrible and it struck at all of them from Warren and Chrissy, the clean-cut high school virgins, down to poor Mrs. Brooks, the teacher, whose hair dropped out overnight. Yes, the nuclear power plant next to the notorious Newcomb High has sprung a little leak. There's the usual hush-up, but it's difficult to hide the truth when innocent teenagers, with hardly an impure thought between them, transmute into sex-crazed fiends, glutted with bloodlust. The other effects? Too horrible to contemplate. Small things grew bigger, Big things grew monstrous, and, to cap it all, down in the fallout shelter, something very nasty stirred. They said it could never happen, but it did. Enroll now for the atomic high, and discover just how nuclear waste makes the grass grow greener. Uh, Distributed by Palace, Virgin, and Gold Distribution Limited. So, yeah, that's pretty much the the tape in a nutshell. And um, after this break, I'll be talking a little bit about the trailers. be curious about what happens when a couple of podcasters get together and get nostalgic about films they've never even seen then join mike from chinstroker versus punster and noel from adventures in vhs and 35 millimeter heroes for the what's your damage podcast as we look back at three films from the mighty 1980s that one or both of us have never seen. There's a knife. From straight-to-video horror to John Hughes, from Amblin Entertainment to Canon, we'll pull up our leg warmers over our espadrilles and take you back to the time of neon, plentiful cocaine and synthesizers. That's a real bad double real confidence. This is a real fucking gun. What's Your Damage can be found at whatsyourdamage.podomatic.com. 
moving further into the 1986 Virgin premiere release of Class of Newcomb High uh, on VHS then, uh, it's about time I actually got into the tape itself and took a look at some of the trailers that sit before the, uh, the main feature, so here we go. I think what you're about to hear now is the Virgin premiere ident. And there it is in all its glorious full colour. So let's see what we've got. No one ever stood up to the cobras. There's a couple of bad boys, known as the Cobras. Two badasses who use switchblades, which of course, as everyone knows, is the, uh, the sign of an 80s bad boy. Looks like these particular two brothers are going to be pushed apart by something. It took all the courage he had to stop fighting. Ah, looks like he's going straight. One of the brothers is going straight. The most dangerous time of his life. I have no idea. It begins at three fifteen. If you say so. So the other brother stays bad and gets into some trouble. But the now clean brother just wants to stay clean. Ah, uh, he's being drawn into a web of, of crime and injustice. More flag knives. And a few mohawks. He turned his back on the gang. Now, he's the only one who stands in their way. It's interesting. It begins at 3.15. That's interesting. Never heard of it before. Who are you? We are again at your So trailer number two is a very arty looking affair, I have to say. Looks like a thriller with a, an arty fantasy element. And it's called Captive. That was the title. It's not much of a clue so far as to what the plot might be. We understand, Mr. LeVay, that you've received a ransom demand from the kidnappers. The lead actress looks a little bit like Numi Rapace. And I think that's Oliver Reed. Yes, it is. That's Oliver Reed. He doesn't really love you. Don't you remember all the fun we Although I must say, I'm getting the feeling that this is maybe an example of one of those movies that has Oliver Reed in it in about three different scenes, but they've made it look like he's in the whole film. Could be wrong, not seeing it. Does remind me of of certain thrillers of the 80s that used to pop up on VHS that were a, a little bit arty. But I certainly don't recognise the title. There's a little bit of nudity in it, as one would expect from a mid-80s movie with Oliver Reed in it. Decent soundtrack. It's very confused, though. I mean, it's, there's Uzis and fire, and I'm not too sure what it's supposed to be. I think it's a British film as well. The coppers in it are British, so... Captive. Whew. Not interested, to be honest with you. Uh, directed and written by Paul Mayersberg, starring Irina Brooke, Oliver Reed. Yeah, not sure. Spectra film. What could this be? You're in luck. Winter Games start this afternoon. The Winter, Winter games. games. Yeah. You'd be surprised how exciting it can get. For Toby McTeague, dog sled racing was just a game. <laughs> what? It's a dog sled movie. All right. I'm in. Check out this music. Okay, so Toby McTeague, Toby McTeague 
is the movie, and uh, it appears to be about a, it appears to be some sort of Karate Kid esque movie about dog sledding with a cracking soundtrack. Pull it up, Toby McTeague. Oh, there's a plane crash, and his dad won't be able to take part in the Winter Games. But Toby McTeague will run the dogs in the Provincials. Train those dogs, Toby McTeague. Aren't they always? Again, check out this music. Just to explain a little bit about the visuals at the moment, there's lots of cheering and lots of slow motion huskies and... Oh yeah, there's a jump with the the, the toboggan or whatever you call the sled, yeah, flying through the air and Toby McTeague, fabulous. All right, well that looks like it's it. Um, we're onto the copyright notice screen, the big blue screen, and uh, I think that means we're about to get into class of Newcomb High. So without further ado, as the Virgin Premier logo comes up once more. After the break, we'll move into the review of Class of Newcomb High. What's going on? a couple of times now. I'm going to get into the review section of the uh, of the podcast. Um, so I'll start off by talking a little bit with how, about how the film gets going. There's the initial all-important power plant meltdown, which is something that happens a couple of times during the film itself, uh, and that gives us the chance to get introduced to the, the evil corporation that's at the centre of all of this. And that's led by an overweight plant manager who actually appears a few times during the film and gets to deliver some of probably the best lines in it. An example of that would be... I think that if I don't have... give a wet fart what you think. Anyway, after that we get introduced to the school itself and one class in particular which is really kind of full of extreme misfits. There's the punks, there's the geeks, there's the jocks, the usual type of thing. And the first one to have a reaction to, uh, to what's been going on at Newcomb High... And in the nearby power plant is a kid called Dewey. He's a nerdy, bespectacled kid who is wandering the hallways and goes to one of the water fonts to drink a little water. And what do you know, the green goop starts pouring out of that and he drinks a nice couple of mouthfuls of it. When he is sat in his classroom, he starts to foam at the mouth and then he attacks one of the other students and sort of like jiggles about in a manner that can that can only sort of really happen when you've been infected by radio, radiation poisoning so I'm told and yeah he starts to foam at the mouth and he throws himself out the window and sort of melts down on the pavement uh, it's the first sort of instance of the practical effects that you see uh, in class of Newcomb High and I must say it's actually quite classy it's, it's a pretty decent practical effect uh, and you know particularly for a trauma picture it's, it's, it's really clear that they uh, that they took a lot of time to uh, to actually get it done and it sets things up quite nicely um so yeah the um the next couple of scenes are all set around the school the, we do get a flashback to the uh, to the overweight plant manager once more who uh, who touches on something which was a bit of a fear in the 80s a bit of a weird sort of urban legend almost um when he is challenged about the uh, the potential problems in the area of uh, about radiation poisoning uh, and what has happened to this this young lad's uh, Dewey. He responds by saying, So far we have found no connection between that unfortunate student and this facility. In fact, we have uncovered that the victim had not one, but two microwave ovens 
which we believe to be a contributing factor. Now, I say this is an urban myth, and it, it absolutely is. I remember when we were growing up, and this is going to sound terrible, but like I remember when microwave ovens first appeared, and there was a little bit of a fear about them, and there was an urban legend that would go around that said... If you open the door to, if you cook in something and you didn't wait for it to stop, if you just open the door, then you could potentially get radiation poisoning. It was a total urban myth, and it was just one of those things that that school kids say. But yeah, I think there was a there was a mild sort of paranoia about this this magical box that could cook things in in five minutes that that you know took us a while to get used to. Um, so yeah, a little bit of a, a hint of what the eighties was there. But uh, back to the film, the the, the overall setup is quite nice. Uh, we get an overview of who everyone is, who the main players are going to be, and what the real what the tone of the movie is going to be. Basically, uh, that comes with uh, the dialogue and the acting, which obviously it isn't going to be Academy Award standard, but it really is sort of zany enough to suit the picture. It really just suits what's going on. You notice it quite a lot in the first 15 minutes of the film when you've got the the, the cretins, which is the uh, the gang of sort of former honor roll uh, students who just kind of decided to rebel and become punks uh, and and wander about in a gang. You get the sort of in the first 15 20 minutes, you get them going around bullying people into buying drugs, and you get sort of shenanigans in the school hallways involving them and and some of the other characters, and it really gives you a sense of fun. Uh, and and it, it really helps co- kind of get you on board straight away. It is fun straight from the outset. Um, and you get some sort of real references to the era as well, uh, coming from the Cretans or Cretans, however you want to pronounce that. The, there are member, members of the of the gang that say stuff like... All you do is sit around all day picking your rings and watching MTV. You want to say about MTV? So the plot gets going by focusing on the the Cretans a little bit and how they are scoring their weed off a guy who works in the power plant apparently this stuff is growing at an incredible rate and is super potent so the gang buys a shit ton of it and they decide to call it an atomic high and start selling it at $10 a joint which uh, must have been very expensive then but I'd say that's kind of pricey at today's standards um yeah, so there's an indoor beach party. Not that I know about anything like that, obviously. Uh, there's an indoor beach party, and that gives us our first flash of sort of teenage flesh. We learn that Warren and Chrissy, who are the main characters uh, in the story, uh, kind of preppy and kind of innocent, but also, you know, a, a little bit jockish. Uh, he's a jock, she's a cheerleader, but, you know, we don't hate them. We're not supposed to. Um, and they haven't slept together yet. Uh, we learn that about them. They're both a little bit shy about it, but they actually want to crack on with it and do it, but they think the other one is a bit too shy. Anyway, when they're pushed into toking a bit of one of these uh, atomic high joints they uh, by by their womanizing friends, Eddie and Greg, they get a bit frisky in an upstairs room and wind up doing the beast with two backs. Uh which is, you know, is obviously going to have negative effects later on. Um, so overall, in this section, you've got a great balance of sort of like high school corridor fun, and a little bit of sex, a little bit of TNA, and some fairly typical sort of like gooey B movie action. And that's all sort of sliced together, spliced together, if you if you like, quite nicely in the first act. As we get into the second act, it, it kind of turns for a short spell into a little bit like a superhero story when the negative effects of the weed that Warren and Chrissy were smoking start to take effect. Uh, they start off by having some freaky nightmares. We, we catch up with them later that night uh, when they've had sex and they've both gone home to their respective homes and they're having some freaky nightmares and they're hallucinating in the middle of the night. But it really kicks in the next day when Warren develops superhuman strength and goes after the Cretans um, and at the mo- at that time, they're busy beating the shit out of an old lady, and I mean, really beating the shit out of an old lady for a- for her pocketbook. Uh, it's a great scene. Uh, and meanwhile, Chrissy is giving birth to a mutant in the bathroom, which disappears down the toilet, through the pipes, and into the fallout shelter in the basement. All of which is ideal for setting up the final act later. And if that wasn't enough set set up, there's there's also the discovery of the the science class's new laser machine. Uh, at which point the science teacher informs us. If you were to aim this laser at the radioactive isotope samples we have here, this whole building would be blown into oblivion and you with it! 
So I'd say at this point in the movie, things have gotten a little bit less jokey. It would still be ridiculous to suggest that the films become anything like serious. But, you know, we are sort of like getting into the plot of things now and things are moving along. There is a bit more drug pushing and bullying going on in the hallways and stuff involving the Cretans. Uh, Warren takes on the, the remaining Cretans again in the uh, the toilet when they're bullying a kid into paying $20 for a joint. Uh, he doesn't do quite so well this time as the, his mutation effects seem to have, have worn off a little bit. But it's enough to get the, the Cretans expelled. Um, though that is mainly because one of them is carrying a giant bone. We're the youth of today. God bless America, limp dick. So the plant goes into meltdown again, and there's a great moment where you get a few quick scenes of plant workers dropping dead while their colleagues just seem to walk past like they don't even notice. Um, and they start investigating the school again, and there's, there's, there's scientists from the plant sort of wandering about. Uh, and one of them is killed by the cellar-dwelling beast that that comes from Warren and Chrissy's loins, and um, yeah, so that so that kind of amps up the danger that's going on downstairs. Um, is it enough to to worry the overweight plant manager though? I don't give a dry fart. Get your ass in here. Obviously not. But meanwhile, the gang appear to have regrouped. They found some pretty heavy weaponry. Uh, the, one of them is carrying what looks like an AK-47, another one's carrying a enormous uh, revolver which I don't know Colt uh, who knows uh, but yeah they, they appear to have just found this heavy weaponry from somewhere and they're going to use it to take over the school for some reason and they force everyone to evacuate for some reason I'm not too sure why um, you get a, a few sort of scenes of uh, the gang sort of motorcycling through the hallways and sort of spraying all over the walls and just generally being bad bad bastards uh and it kind of reminded me a little bit of the uh the party scene in in weird science everything reminds me of weird science but yeah it, it kind of reminded me of the party scene in weird science where you get the sort of gang sort of uh, bust through the bust through the doors of uh, of of the of gary and wyatt's place and sort of like start messing the place up it's it's there's 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 similarities um so yeah, the gang have kind of taken over the school. They forced everyone to evacuate. At this point, it really kind of reminded me just why I found this film so charming. It's got so many tiny, random, nice touches. There's the moment where the plant workers are sort of like running their Geiger counters over, or one of the plant workers is running his Geiger counter up and down the cheerleading team while they're practicing. Apparently, they don't they don't seem to notice. Um, and there's also the moment where everyone has to flee the school. You just get this wave of screaming people bursting out the door towards the camera. But as they do, a dog runs out with them as well. A dog, which is just so random and so odd. But it, it doesn't just give you another taste of sort of Lloyd Kaufman's nutball sense of humour. It does sort of genuinely make the situation seem a bit more intense and frenetic. It's like there's a real panic on... and and even the dogs know about it, which is great. Um, so yeah, we move closer towards the climax. As far as the climax is concerned, it all comes to a head in the basement. We've got Warren versus the Cretans, part three. Um, uh, luckily, the Beast joins in at some at this point, and I have to say, looks it looks great. It's a great looking Beast. Um, but the Beast joins in and punches a hole in one of the heads of the Cretans, which is a great moment again decent practical effects um, while the other who's kind of the leader of the Cretans sort of flees um, so there's a little bit of cat and mouse round in the basement involving uh, the leader of the Cretans Warren and uh, Warren and Chrissy and the Beast uh, but you know it, it all wraps up with a huge explosion um, uh, thanks to the, the surprise laser um, though the huge explosion I think it has to be it has to be said that it is shot in a way that does its best to convince you that it's a huge explosion, but it's clear that there was a budget of about $3 for it. Um, but that's fine. Again, it, this just all adds to the trauma charm. Um, so yeah, overall, to kind of sum up uh, my thoughts on Class of Newcomb High, I really, really enjoyed it. The first thing to remember is Class of Newcomb High is a trauma movie, and if you aren't down with their brand of humour and the way that they make movies, you probably won't get too much out of it. That said, it is a great example of the studio's output. 
uh, in that it works so well and on so many different levels. It's funny, it's charming, the effects are decent for what it is, and the fully developed sort of mutant at the end is absolutely serviceable. It's clear that they took some time on that. I know that one of the interesting facts about this story is that they rushed to make that mutant and they they got so far with it but they didn't have a lower body for it and they didn't have they weren't able to connect the arms in time or something so you know it was a bit of a rush job but I think it actually I think it looks absolutely fine um, most importantly though I think the thing about Class of Newcomb High is while you've got all the craziness going on um, of the gang and the the effects and the kids foaming at the mouth and melting and stuff like that while all that's going on, you've got a story and a script at the heart of it that's that's really quite solid and holds it all together. The characters do well with, with what they have, and overall, the, the whole thing is just huge fun. If you haven't seen Class of Newcomb High, you absolutely should. And if you haven't seen it in a while, it's probably time to give it another spin. Um, the VHS tape I picked up has clearly seen a bit of action, I've got to say. Um, it required a couple of bouts of tracking during the viewing, and there was a little bit of um, a little bit of a line across the screen. Um, you know, for anyone who's familiar with old VHS tapes, that's just uh, par for the course after a while, I'm afraid. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it it held up enough. I only had to track a couple of times, um, and I think I was suitably impressed with the film itself to consider picking up the Arrow Blu-ray, uh, not only just for for potential rewatch in HD at some point but also I'd be quite interested to see what features there are and, and maybe even check out Lloyd Kaufman's uh, his director's commentary that I know is on that disc as well so uh, yeah that's Class of Newcomb High and uh, I absolutely loved it I think you will too after the break I get to interview its director or its co-director uh, depending on whose story you believe um, and yeah the one and only Mr. Lloyd Kaufman Hey! I'm sorry, babe, but business is business. That's all you ever think about is business. You never pay any attention to me. <laughs> That's what you get when you're in love with the yuppie. So I've talked a little bit about Class of Newcomb High, the movie, as well as the wonderful 1986 Virgin Premier VHS rental release, and I'm absolutely delighted to say I have a genuine Hollywood royalty here in the form of the one, the only producer extraordinaire and president and co-founder of Troma, uh, Mr. Lloyd Kaufman is with me. Hello, Lloyd. Uh, greetings from Tromaville. Uh, uh, not from Hollywood, though, from Tromaville. Fantastic. Uh, almost 40 years. 40 years of traumatic movies. Quel uh, magnifique. Indeed, absolutely. And um, as I say, as I said to you uh, when we just spoke up, you know, thanks for joining me today. I think one of the one of the first questions that I wanted to ask you the fact that class of class of Nukemai is one of the few trauma properties that's been given sort of multiple sequels. So you know, obviously trauma's been been going now for for nearly forty years, and this is one of the movies that you've returned to a couple of times, and you're now gearing up for a return to class of Nukemai as well. Uh, so what is it that you think about about this particular this particular concept that kind of keeps you coming back to it? Well, Troma uh, has been very uh, appreciative of its fans, and the only reason that Troma has been in business for almost uh, forty years is uh, thanks to our fans, because yeah. basically we have no dis we have no distribution anywhere. Uh, so we um, the, the fans really keep us alive, and uh, the fans love Class of Newcomb High. So we we thought, okay, let's uh, return to Class of Newcomb High, and. Uh, and uh, I will direct it. I didn't direct parts two and three, and um, I will uh, uh, I'll direct it since the fans really, really want it. Also, there's an American company, a big company uh, called Stars, S T A R Z. Oh yeah. And they uh, they uh, have indicated that if we make this film, they will uh, support it. So that's a good thing. Excellent. And you mentioned there uh, just then that you you have decided to come back and direct this time. Was that was that an easy decision for you to make to to come back and, and return? Well, again, the fans the the fans. I haven't directed a movie since Poultry Geist, and um, I think this project is suited to my temperament. And I think the various themes within the movie, uh, the political and sociological themes within Return to Newcomb High. Yeah. 
that we are developing, uh, I feel very passionate about, and um, so I think this is a good project for me. As I say, I haven't directed anything for about five years, right. and uh, the fans seem to be, uh, you know, interested in uh, what I've got before I uh, cast off these mortal coils. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I mean, just just touching on the uh, the original movie again. Have you actually kind of gone back and rewatched and studied the original film to kind of prepare for this, or? Uh, are there any, uh, no, I haven't really. I haven't because I don't want to get bogged. I, I, you know, I don't want to get uh, bogged down or influenced by it. Yeah. But I did happen to see quite a bit of the original type class of Nukemai at the Prince Charles Cinema right. on a big screen with an audience, and uh, the audience. This was, as I say, about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, in London, a uh, very sophisticated audience. They loved it, and uh, I, I, um, I had a good time myself. I hadn't looked at that movie for a long, long time, and mm. it, uh, it holds up. Class of Newcomb High is a genuine classic. Absolutely. It, it works. It, it, you really care about the uh, young couple and uh, the humor. Uh, because the movie is played so straight, the, uh, the satire comes across, and this, the, the erotic uh, material is uh, very erotic, and uh, it's just crazy monsters uh, mixed in, and it, 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 it's a movie that uh, stands the, the test of time, and hopefully the return to Newcomb High will be something uh, totally um, standing on its own. Let's hope so. Let's hope that it will be the, uh, the uh, to, uh, it will be the class of Newcomb High what Evil Dead 2 was to Evil Dead. So, I mean, we've mentioned already that um, we're coming up to the 40th birthday of, uh, of Troma, and, and that kind of now makes you the longest-running independent studio of all time, which actually you have been for some time. But uh, with so many sort of important Troma titles that came out in the 1980s, uh, around the time of Class of Newcomb High, before and after, how big of a role do you, do you feel that, that VHS and the home video boom played in sort of helping you achieve uh, what you've achieved with, with Troma? Well, a, uh, an independent movie company uh, can move faster, and uh, and if one is propelled by the love of cinema, mm-hmm. one can embrace uh, new technology, and one uh, has a good relationship with one's fans. The big media conglomerates uh, uh, <laughs> they hate innovation. Mm-hmm. They they hate innovation. The news corporation, uh, Rupert Murdoch, those guys, Sony, Paramount, uh, Viacom. They they don't like innovation because with innovation comes a c- competition, and that mm. means they have to get up in the morning and and actually do some thinking yeah. and do some creativity. So they hate to be creative. They hate to be uh, thinking. They don't like that. So when VHS came in, the uh, giant evil conglomerates tried to kill it, mm. and we uh, saw that this was great. That people could make copies. That people could share art. That uh, that uh, the democratization of film could be uh, propelled forward. And uh, so we immediately embraced the VHS. And The Toxic Avenger, I think, from what I've heard and what I've read and what uh, and, and remember of the time, The Toxic Avenger was the very first uh, movie of its type that was uh, put on VHS and proved that movies with uh, kind of horror uh, elements could indeed be successful on VHS for home video. At that time, home video was thought to be something for uh, self-improvement tapes and music videos, Mm. Michael Jackson music videos. It was not determined that, holy cow, you could actually put movies on VHS and make a pant load of money. And uh, Toxic Avenger proved that not only could you put movies on, but you could put obscure movies with uh, hideously deformed creatures of superhuman size and strength, like the Toxic Avenger. You could put that on VHS and sell uh, half a million VHS copies at at, uh, 60 pounds a piece. And uh, holy holy moly, you got a lot of money there. So we went in there, we saw it right away, and uh, we went for it. We loved the fact that uh, people could make copies of our movies. You know, somebody bought a copy... God bless them. Let them make a, a thousand copies and give it all out to their fans. Why not? Was there at any point really where, you know, taking a piece of work like Toxic Avenger and, and just putting it out into the hands of people and not really knowing if... I mean, was it must have been terrifying, you know, the potential for kind of losing all this money and, and people copying. Was that not a, a worry at any point? Or were you just confident in well, the Well, Michael, Michael Hers uh, and I... Uh, did not go into the movie business uh, 
to make a lot of money. Uh, we certainly like to have money. Uh, being a dirty Jew, I'm uh, all about money. But I did not go into movie making to make money. That's stupid to do it. That's yeah. a dumb idea. Yeah. This is an art form. I'm a movie. I love movies, and that's why I do it. Now, we've made money. We got lucky. Mm. So, you know, The Toxic Avenger was a huge international hit, and so was Class of Newcomb High. Mm -hmm. And Cannibal the Musical by Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the South Park guys, yeah. is a very successful movie. And we've been, we have been fortunate in that we've made and distributed movies in which we believe, movies that express our heart and soul, and we've managed to um, achieve a fan base that is very loyal and very aggressive and very... Uh, determined to, f to find our movies, even though we're buried in the underground. So uh, the fact that uh, people might be uh, uh, sharing our films, that kids might be buying a DVD and then making copies for their friends, or even if people are just uh, downloading them on the Internet, I'm okay with that. I think it's all, I think the fans will take care of us. And uh, sort of to celebrate our 40th, our upcoming 40th year, and to thank our fans and to prove the point, uh, we are um, uh, giving away free movies. Uh, we're just telling the fans here, uh, here's a YouTube channel. Yeah. We have a Troma YouTube channel, and you go to YouTube, there are about 50 or 60 uh, Troma movies, yeah. including uh, Poultry Guy's Night of the Chicken Dead and, uh, and uh, Toxic Avenger and Tromeo and Juliet. And Because I do believe that the fans will... Uh, will buy our DVDs uh, if they appreciate uh, what we're doing. You know, we know our fans are not rich, and, um, you know, if they uh, get enough uh, contact with us and we treat them right, they'll figure out a way to keep us alive. Mm. Well, I was actually looking at the, uh, the the release that you put out about the new the new YouTube channel, and, and I have to say it is quite a ballsy move, and it's something that, you know, we're never going to see a major a major motion picture company like Walt Disney or anybody do anything quite so ballsy that's quite clear well i think i think that file sharing which is basically what we're doing uh, is going to be the future i think mm. that that there has to be another way to address the public and i don't think that the established i, I, I think there's a trend to the democratization of the uh, cinema arts mm. And hopefully it will be taken out of the hands of Rupert Murdoch and uh, Sony and put back into the hands of the artists. Michael Hers and I are the artists. We are the people who write, direct, and produce these movies. And we decided from the beginning, the same way that Frank Zappa did with his music, mm -hmm. in fact, I met him a couple of times, we, we did exactly, we also wanted to control the, uh, the selling side of it. Yeah. yeah, we wanted to just uh, have total control because we wanted to have total freedom to make what we want to make in terms of art. Do we want to control the script, the the, the, the movie itself, the production? Uh, and um, that's exactly what Frank Zappa wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, so we opted to be in the underground. And uh, but I think with the, I think that the uh, the model, the business model, is going to change and movie studios are going to have to stop suing their fans and, and being enemies with their fans. And um, the Avengers uh, is a $200 million movie that is made of billions of dollars. Yeah. But I guarantee you, many, many, many millions of people paid to see the Avengers because they had downloaded it on the Internet and they liked it. Mm. And they went to buy a ticket. And I know that with Troma, people who have downloaded... Uh, Tromeo and Juliet and Terror Firmer, they downloaded it, they go on to buy it. And yeah. I think that that surveys, that if proper surveys are done, they would prove that the downloading of, the sharing of, of art will lead to the revenue of art. So, I mean, it sounds like I was, you know, obviously it's very important for you to kind of stay ahead of the curve in terms of technology and, and engaging with audiences in sort of less traditional ways like the YouTube channel, as you've mentioned. We actually were, I think we were the first studio to embrace the DVD. Uh, I don't, I, we, we got into DVD so early that people didn't have the machines. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a mistake. But uh, eventually we had a couple of good years where we had DVDs out and nobody else, not nobody, but very 
they, the, the need for DVDs was 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 there, and we we were ahead of the curve there for sure. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, in terms of this YouTube channel or whatever, um, you know, I think in this case it's it's it's, it's as much motivated as uh, showing appreciation to our fans after forty years uh, as it is toward um, you know it's Michael Hers and I. I think in large part we're motivated by people watching our movies. Uh, I think that has a lot to do with why we do what we do. And you sure we want to make money, but we really, you know, Vincent Van Gogh did not paint to, to make money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he painted, to, he wanted people to see him, that's for sure. Yeah. This guy who just died today, Leroy Neiman, the uh, sports artist, he, um, he was a sincere artist, but he sure as heck wanted people to look at his art. So, you know, we artists, we, we, we don't do it to, 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 to hang up in our bedrooms. We want people to uh, see our movies. So if they, you know, little sweaty, fat 16-year-old teenagers are down in their basement uh, downloading the Toxic Avenger to send to uh, their little girlfriends, uh, it's okay because eventually they'll, uh, they'll buy something. You know, the, the majors get all upset, you know, uh, Mickey Mouse doesn't like uh, people putting on mouse ears unless they buy them from Disneyland. Uh, and uh, Star Wars doesn't want uh, 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 bootleg the t-shirts. Uh, we're happy, we love that stuff. It's, it's, uh, it's an advertisement. It's just, there are people all over wearing uh, uh, Toxic Avenger and Troma and Sergeant Kabuki Man uh, t-shirts and Bloodsucking Freaks t-shirts that they... You know, and if one of those T-shirts suddenly starts making lots and lots of money, mm. then we'll put up, we'll put one out. We'll put out the exact same T-shirt, mm. except it will be endorsed by Lloyd Kaufman, of and uh, it'll it'll make a it'll make a, 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 a tons of money. Sure. It's free marketing. So it's basically, these people who uh, are who are selling our stuff, a they're advertising for us, mm. and b they're. Um, they're uh, giving us free marketing uh, research, so I, I I don't understand why why the major studios not you know go around suing people for uh, you know coming up with fan made uh, things. It's just it's, a it's nasty and b it's stupid. In, term, in terms of the imaging of, of Class of Newcomb High specifically, one of the things that I absolutely adore about well about the format of VHS and about this particular. VHS, the, the the Virgin Premiere one that came out in 1986. It's got the most glorious artwork. It's probably the best looking VHS on my shelf. So I was just wondering how much how much input do you have on that side of things? You know, obviously in terms of this specific VHS, but in in general, like the the art is is the artwork and the poster artwork really important to you? Well, we take it all very seriously. I um, I approve all the box art and uh, poster key art and all that stuff. Uh, I, I personally approve and make notes and uh, a lot of the copy on the boxes. Uh, I mean, uh, I write sometimes. I write it, so I'm uh, very much involved in that stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, we've just released, we, Troma, just released a VHS version of the Toxic Avenger, a big box uh, VHS uh, video cassette of the Toxic Avenger here in the United States. We just released it about two weeks ago. Uh, only 300 copies. 300 copies. <laughs> well, you may have just sold an extra one to me anyway, so... Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd, well, I'd certainly you. be interested in that. But uh, are there any other sort of, um, you know, kind of going back to the 1980s, are there any films in particular that you remember putting out on VHS that you'd really count among your favorite trauma releases? And uh, are there any that sort of stick out in your mind as being particularly well, successful? Uh, I'll tell you, um, the Toxic Avenger class of Newcomb High... Mm -hmm. Uh, blood-sucking freaks, uh, lust for freedom, you know, those, there was about 30 movies that we made, uh, squeeze play, stuck on you, waitress, the first turn on, those movies were tremendous successes, uh, back in the VHS days, because the major studios kept saying that, uh, video cassettes were going to destroy copyright law, and that, uh, 
there was a world would be inundated with pornography and all that kind of stuff. So, sorry, a lot like what they're saying now. Then, basically, yeah, they say the same thing now. You're absolutely right. They they they, they want to get rid of net neutrality on the internet. They don't like the free, open, and democratic uh, internet. They want the internet to be under the thumb of. Uh, of Rupert Murdoch and Viacom, Sumner Redstone and uh, and Sony and uh, the little elite group of giant mega conglomerates, mm. uh, they want uh, they want the control uh, of the internet because the internet is the last competitive, the last democratic medium, and they use the same excuse they used against video cassettes that copyright law would be destroyed and that uh, we'll be inundated with uh, pornography and. Uh, and uh, neither proved true with home video. Uh, the uh, majors uh, eventually uh, managed to screw up the home video and put the little stores out of business. And yeah. uh, Blockbuster, Blockbuster was a division of Viacom, Paramount, and um, they destroyed a lot of good uh, v- variety uh, with the little stores, the family-owned stores that uh, had uh, th- hundreds or thousands of titles uh, were killed so that Blockbuster could give you. Uh, you know, 200 copies of uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral and yeah. no copies of Trey Parker's Cannibal the Musical. Another VHS uh, story that's interesting with Troma is that we distributed the South Park guys' first movie. Uh, we actually helped them uh, finish it, as I recall, and um, they uh, had not obviously made South Park yet. <laughs> yeah. They hadn't invented South Park. But we saw that Cannibal the Musical was a hilarious original, wonderful film. Nobody else did. Mm. And we released it on, we put it in some movie theaters in the United States and we released it on uh, on uh, video cassette and it was a big flop. Um, it also came out in the UK as Alfred Packer, uh, which was the central character of Cannibal the Musical. Mm-hmm. But then uh, once uh, South Park came out and was such a smash TV show, suddenly Cannibal the Musical became a huge hit yeah. on uh, home video. But uh, it was uh, only after South Park came out. Yeah. And um, and then uh, it's still Cannibal the Musical, which has probably sold half a million uh, units, has never been on American television. Not even crappy cable mm. systems, you know, uh, because it's a, uh, a, we're, we're economically blacklisted. Even though we have a wonderful movie by, the, by uh, Trey and Matt, uh, the comedy central's, Comedy Central's most uh, most popular show yeah. is South Park, and you'd think it'd be a no-brainer to put on Cannibal the Musical, which has no sex or any any kind of objectionable material in it. Uh, it would be a no-brainer to put their uh, wonderful film on the television. Mm-hmm. And the ratings would be huge, but because it's Troma's movie, uh, we're uh, blacklisted. So I mean, it's it's pretty clear that you know from the day one, sort of trauma has been really, really keen to to push boundaries and do whatever it fe- felt like doing, really, and and that's kind of led to people saying that trauma has been a major influence on everybody from from kind of from Gaspar Noé to Quentin Tarantino. So, are there any films that you think Class of Newcomb High in particular has has been an influence on that you've seen? Uh, well, with Class of Newcomb High, I can't say specifically, other than I know Trey and Matt love that movie. I know mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino loves the film. Uh, Gaspar Noé was a big fan and came to New York uh, to visit the Troma Building uh, when Class of Newcomb High was in movie theaters. Uh, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, I know he came to the Troma Building, and I think he came during the uh, theatrical uh, premiere of uh, Class of Nukemai. Takashi Miike loves Class of Nukemai, mm-hmm. uh, from what I understand. So, I mean, the, the Troma has a big footprint. Uh, you know, Eli Roth is, uh, says that Mother's Day, which my brother Charles Kaufman uh, wrote and directed, mm-hmm. Um, Mother's Day is Eli Roth's favorite uh, horror film. And I've got him, you know, I interviewed Eli, and it's on, we're putting out the Mother's Day uh, Blu-ray, I think, for Halloween. It's coming up for Halloween. Uh, And and Eli, in the interview with Eli Roth, he literally says, Mother's Day is Eli's favorite horror film of all time. James Gunn, I know he loves Class of Newcomb High, for sure. Class of Newcomb High is is a... you know, it was very entertaining. It's got some interesting social commentary, and it still it still works. It, uh, it's not dated. It, it's not 
it, it doesn't uh, lose any, uh, it doesn't tarnish with time. It mm -hmm. seems to be more relevant than ever. So I know you're, uh, you can't, you must be sort of knee deep in uh, return to Newcomb High at the moment. What, what exactly is going on at this stage? Are you still in kind of the casting process and scripting yes, process? Yes, we, we are really just about two weeks into casting. We uh, have really, uh, we've gone, we've run about the ninth draft, but we haven't gone to uh, colored papers yet. Uh, we haven't really made, gotten to our official first, draft, although we've probably done about nine drafts of, of uh, Return to Newcomb High, but uh, we're getting there, and um, we're going to, it looks like we've figured out where we're going to shoot it, uh, uh, which is uh, in uh, Niagara Falls, uh, not in the falls, but in the town of Niagara Falls, or right. in that area, uh, that's upstate New York, and um, we're moving along, it's just, uh, we don't, uh, it's a very heavy We've got a huge amount of special effects and um, creature effects and things of that nature. And uh, so we're trying to figure out how long that's going to take. And uh, we hope we can shoot in August, uh, but uh, we still need to, to organize the special effects because the movie's got a huge amount of, of practical special effects, creature effects. And uh, for the first time, we'll have a fair amount of... Uh, CG, what are you, I guess what you call it, CGI, uh, computer-generated uh, effects, which I've uh, shied away from in the past. Poultry Guys, Night of the Chicken Dead, only had about, uh, you know, one, I think it had one CGI yeah. effect in the whole movie. No, it had two CGI effects, and they were mainly to erase uh, filament, you know, to erase fishing line that was uh, doing the... Uh, so what's kind of changed your mind then and thought that, that, that CGI is right for this this particular project then? Well, the young people I work with, uh, you know, I, I feel that uh, my imagination uh, will uh, be able to, uh, my creativity can be enhanced, uh, mm -hmm. and I think it has been. I think I can think a little wider with the... Uh, magic of uh, CGI, you know, you, you can shoot down an F-14 airplane with CGI, you yeah. can't do that with a practical effect, I mean, you can, and we've done it, but it's, you know, then we have to take, go to the, uh, go to the Woolworth and buy a little airplane and yeah. put it on a string, shoot at it, which that never looks real, <laughs> but, uh, you know, with CGI, I think we can have a, a gag where a mistake is made and instead of shooting a person, the uh, plane goes down. Certainly sounds like it's going to be quite a, a big release for Troma then, do you think? I think it's a major movie for us, yeah. I think it's going to uh, be, a, for in terms of Tromaville, it will be a, a big deal. But again, our movies are very small budgets. You know, they're under half a million, you know, they're 250,000 pounds approximately. So, so which in the scale of, uh, of the industry is tiny. You know, mm. the average American... The average American-made release now is uh, is about a uh, hundred times that amount, <laughs> mm. and quite a lot of them are terrible. Yes, unfortunately, uh, much of much of what you get. I mean, your country has the same problem. Uh, I read an article recently about so many independent uh, movie cinemas closing in yeah. the UK, uh, and uh, how sad is that? Experience of seeing a movie uh, in a in a it's a different experience to see when I saw a class of Newcomb High recently. Uh, or Father's Day and Toxic Avenger at the Prince Charles, uh, you know, it was a full, every, every seat was taken and mm -hmm. more, and uh, the standing room people, and there was just such a nice atmosphere. I mean, it's great to see a movie, you know, on your big screen television at home with your um, boyfriend or girlfriend, mm -hmm. but um, it's not the same as seeing in the movie theater. It's a totally, and it's, a, it's a pity that that uh, experience is uh, being uh, killed. Yeah, I, I think certainly in the case of Class of Newcomb High, it's certainly a film that lends itself to, to that type of experience as well. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if there's an opportunity to see Return to Newcomb High on, on the big screen, I, I'll be taking it. At, at this point, I just wanted to kind of thank you again for, for taking some time out today and, and chatting to me. It's, it's been a, a true pleasure to, to speak to you. And well, thank you, uh, Noel. And, uh, you know, Film Rant is very popular in Tromaville, uh, the Fabulous. Toxic Avenger and Sergeant Kabuki Man that uh, tune in all the time, <laughs> and the Tromavillians love you. And uh, we, are very we, we are very appreciative of your interest, and we are very grateful to our fans in the U.K. and uh, all over the world who have... Uh, 
taken the extra effort to find our movies because they're not easy to find and mm -hmm. uh, we really appreciate it well, thank you on behalf of all of those trauma fans and on behalf of the uk then i thank you and uh, and and good luck with 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 return to newcomb high too well keep an eye on my twitter at lloyd kaufman i just posted some photos uh on at lloyd kaufman of our casting sessions last night they're pretty amusing so uh, Fabulous. check them out oh say can you So that was Adventures in VHS Episode 2. Uh, at this point, I'd like to say thanks to everyone who downloaded the first episode, and indeed this episode, and for those who said lovely things about it online. I shall endeavour to maintain whatever standard I've set for myself here and keep the podcast as regular as I possibly can, although it will be once a month for the foreseeable future. I should also take a moment to ask that if you did enjoy the show, or the last show, or maybe even both, uh, please, if you could take a second to give me an iTunes review, it would make a huge, huge difference. Or if you could just let me know what you think on Twitter, where you can find me with the handle at FilmRant. If, however, you wanted to go one stage further and send over some email or a recorded MP3 bit of feedback, that would be just incredible. You can get me on noel at filmrant.co.uk and I'll happily read out or play anything you send over on the next show, which should be with you in the first week of August, once I've sorted out a movie to cover and an interview for the cast. The two things do kind of need to go hand in hand. In the meantime, you can hear me on other podcasts, including 35mm Heroes and the brand new 80s-focused podcast with Mike from Chinstroker vs. Punter, What's Your Damage? Links for both of these podcasts can be found on filmrants.co.uk. That particular site of mine has been relaunched with this podcast, so please go over there and check it out. It looks completely different now, and I think it looks a lot sexier. As I mentioned earlier, you can expect to uh, see my exclusive interview with Newcomb High co-director Richard W. Haynes up there very soon. Um, the guy is a very interesting chap, and I would definitely recommend that you uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, obviously, I'll be tweeting about it once the uh, the interview goes up, so you can, uh, you can keep an eye out for it there too. Uh, and that's it. So uh, I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed making it. Um, stay tuned for much more very soon. And until then, I'll see you next time. Ta-ra.